Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Still, where we carve out space for meaningful conversation about God and life as we seek to pay attention to the ways God calls us to go deeper still in relationship with Him and with one another. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I have the joy of being the host of this podcast, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Well, hey, before we dive into our conversation today, and it's going to be a good one, especially as we lead up to this Thanksgiving holiday, but I just wanted to say how grateful I am for each and every one of you, how grateful I am for the way that you've listened, the way that you've encouraged, the feedback that you've been giving so far this season. I just, I love, love, love hearing from you. I love hearing what's resonating with you. I love the way God is using these conversations to speak into your own life, and of course, course, uh, I always want to know how we can improve and get better. And so keep sending me your texts. Feel free to leave a comment on my Instagram page at Sue Camfield. Write a review on your favorite podcast platform. Just be nice if you're going to write a review. But uh, it will go a long way in helping me, helping our team make Deeper Still the best podcast it can be. And that's what we want. So again, thanks so much for giving me that feedback. Thanks for being who you are. Thanks for listening. And uh, I would appreciate it if we keep hearing from you. I love it. Well, one of the things I'm passionate about is the power of a good story. And particularly when that story points us to the goodness and grace of God in a way that removes any doubt, any doubt from our minds that the God of the universe is intimately involved in the details of our lives. With this episode dropping just a few days before Thanksgiving, I thought maybe that that's a reminder that some of us needed to hear. So today on Deeper Still, I invited my dear friend, Karen Wilkinson, to share her story. Last summer, Karen's husband, David, was diagnosed with COVID. Three days later, he was admitted to the hospital where he would eventually end up in the ICU and about six weeks later would end up on life support. While Karen and her family said their goodbyes, God had other plans and his plans were good. And they weren't just good because of the outcome. And I'll tell you right from the start, the outcome was that David defied all the odds and he actually became the recipient of a double lung transplant. God spared his life and he's doing so well today. But that's not why God is good. God is good in the midst of this story, not for that alone, but because God revealed himself to Karen and David in some ways, my friends, that you just have to hear to believe time and time again. And so that's the story I've invited Karen to share today. So my friends, whatever you're doing, wherever you find yourself, just settle up, settle in, and listen in as Karen and I go deeper still. Well, Karen, my friend, welcome to Deeper Still. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you here. Oh my goodness, Sue Ann. I love you. I miss your face and I'm thrilled. So thank you for asking me to tell his story. Oh my goodness. You know, I was thinking as I was prepping kind of through the weekend and even today, I was just um, preparing for our time and I just had these like goose goosebump pinch me moments because I was thinking back to the fact that you and I have known each other for 20 some odd years now that Eric and I, Eric and I showed up at a church in Ohio. We didn't Mm -hmm. know anybody and you and David were one of the first people that we met at that church. We were probably like the old couple that you learn from them. (laughs) <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, but I was thinking I was I was going back to how old I might have been at that time. And I was like, Oh, yeah, that's right. Karen's a few years older than me. <laughs> yes, by like, Mr. very <laughs> little. <laughs> but I was thinking about the fact that, gosh, what a great time of life that was for us when, you know, Eric and I did not have kids yet. You I think your youngest, I think Isaac was like, literally a baby on your hip, like, newborn. Mm -hmm. And I remember you invited us over for lunch one day after church. We sat around your parents' kitchen table (laughs) and had lunch that day. Um, I remember you, you were nursing Isaac and Eric was like, whoa, I've never seen anyone nurse a baby. (laughs) I'm sure I was covered, but bless his heart. (laughs) I'm sure you were too. Oh my goodness. Isn't that funny? That's like the first memory I have. And then I was thinking we did, I mean, and then we got in a small group together. Mm -hmm. We did community, you know, we just did life together during that time. 
with such a bonding that it's been difficult to find small groups that even compare. It's like your first love, you just keep going back and that's all of a sudden the benchmark. <laughs> I was thinking about that too. I was thinking how I was going to say, like, I think that was to this day, the best small group experience yeah. that I've ever had, but I've been on staff at a church now for a while and we've had a lot of small group experiences here at this church. And I thought, oh, I don't want to offend anybody that I've been yeah. in a small group with. It's just your first <laughs> love. That's all. <laughs> That's right. But I think we did have such a special bond, that group. And I just was thinking about that. And I'm looking, you know, looking back and thinking to where God has, you know, why we're having this conversation today. And the fact that if you would have told me 20 some years ago that you and I would be having a conversation in 2022 about the events that have um, transpired in your life over the last year, who would have known? Who would have Isn't believed it? Isn't it great that he protects us, that God does not allow us to see the future? Because I can't even imagine how panicked I would have been leading up to it. Uh, that is a really good, God gives us just a little bit at a time, right? And and we just don't yes. know. That's a good word. He protects us <laughs> yes. from ourselves and uh, sometimes mm-hmm. our future. So Karen, I know you well. Um, I love you. It's so exciting to see your face right now. I know listeners can't see your face, but I'm just loving just getting to see you. Um, tell us a little bit though, especially for people who don't know you. I do know we will have friends listening to this who were in that same world with us at the time and people who know and love you. But for people who don't know you, Tell us a little bit about who you are. Tell us about your family. Tell about what life looked like before July of 2021. Okay, so David and I have been married for 27 years, and we have two sons. Jake is 24, and Isaac is 22. Um, We live in Naples, Florida. Uh, I needed sunshine. (laughs) Definitely a little seasonal affective disorder up north. I don't know how you do it, so come visit me anytime. And... um, Uh, Yeah, the kooky side of me is people find out that I have a worm farm and I compost and I love playing in the dirt. So maybe I what do you what's the saying? You can take the girl out of the farm and the country, (laughs) but you can't take the farm and the country out of the girl. So I continue to have my Southern Ohio roots. And um, yeah, so I mean, I don't even like to say this virus word, (laughs) but I think we're all sick of hearing about it. Uh, But here in Florida, I mentioned that sunshine, but, you know, in the summer, it's hot. No one wants to come see us in the summer. (laughs) And so it's kind of like what you all experience in the north in the winter. You're kind of like shut inside and the heat's on and the viruses are, you know, spreading around because everybody's in close contact. That's a little bit about what we experience in Florida, but never before like this crazy Delta variant of COVID. And um, I will say we felt protected down here. We felt like it didn't really affect us. Uh, I stopped watching the news in April 2020 because it was just too um, anxiety producing and and sensationalized. I didn't know what what was true anymore. So for us, really, and us, I say collectively in the South, the Delta variant of COVID took us all by storm and by shock and surprise. And in July 2021, my husband is a surgeon. He's a urologist. So he's masked, gloved, sterile environment. That's what he does for a living. And he came home acting like he had a sinus infection, which he has a chronic um, problem with, lots of allergies. And so that was a Wednesday. And by Monday, the following Monday, um, I had dropped him to the ER. He was discolored. His oxygen saturation was low. And I should mention, uh, I was a respiratory therapist for 15 years, working level one traumas. That's how David and I met before he went on to medical school. So I do have a background to recognize like, oh gosh, we are in trouble. Something's wrong. And um, I dropped him off to the emergency department. Of course, you couldn't get in the hospitals. You know, everything was shut down. And I will replay this, I think, for the rest of my life, just pulling up there and dropping him off and being in such a hurry to get him to get help that I never even stopped to like hug him or say, I love you or pray over him or say, this is going to be okay. It was just this rushed situation. And as you know, our story, um, it was 140 days in the hospital and it, it, it got bad, but To back up a little bit, um, we were in this place in our marriage 
We were empty nesters. And I realized, um, I think I've heard the term a couple times from another podcast, roommate syndrome. Mm. So busy. And we were just like passing in the night. And um, I decided like, gosh, I need a, I need a job. You know, I, I want to do something that keeps me as busy <laughs> as he is. And so I started selling luxury real estate, which I continue to do to this day. But what happened, Sue Ann, is that I got as busy as he was to compensate for the loneliness and for this new position I was in as, a, as an empty nester. And so when he got sick, like our marriage was already in a, a struggling place. Mm-hmm. It's the point where our adult kids said, are you thinking about divorce? And we're like, no, no, no. Right? We don't talk about divorce, right? Um, yeah. But I told him, one of the last things I said to him before he got sick was, I wouldn't even have to think about divorce because you're going to leave me a widow if you continue this busy lifestyle. Mm. So that's how I dropped him off to the emergency department. Wow. And I, you know, I love that you're so honest and, you know, so often, especially about our marriages, especially when we're believers, we don't want to admit that stuff, right? We don't want people to know that behind closed doors that maybe life isn't always as, you know, bright and shiny as sometimes we make it out to be. And I love that you're so honest about uh, that term roommates, you know, where you're just kind of ships passing in the night, you're coexisting, your kids are out of the house, the lives are busy, schedules are busy. And, mm-hmm. and um, that that was the picture of what your life was. And I love that you're so honest about that, because it makes your story that much more powerful. Um, but I think it also just that moment when then you take them to the hospital, and you drop them off, did you ever imagine you said 140 days later, he no. would still be in the hospital. Did you ever imagine in that moment no. that that's what you'd be facing? Not at all. And again, as a respiratory therapist and he as a physician, we're like, okay, you need some steroids. Even if this was going to be COVID, we're like, it's not a big deal. You're young, you're healthy. You're going to get some steroids. You're going to get a nebulizer treatment. I'll probably have you home in two hours. I was so oblivious to where we were going that I sat in the parking lot because I'm like, why go home? I'm going to just wait for him to be done. And, you know, I called a couple people like, hey, would, you know, do you mind praying for David? This has taken a turn and he's really not feeling well. But I didn't have fear. I didn't have this anxiety. I was, you know, scrolling through my phone, texting <laughs> prayer warriors, like sitting in the parking lot. Right. Do you think David knew how serious it was at that point? Not at that point. Yeah. Definitely not. No. Yeah. No. Well, and that at that point, because it's 2021, and I'm not trying to take the seriousness out of COVID at that point, but we kind of thought we made it through the worst of it, right? You didn't hear at that point a lot of people having incredibly serious um, complications because of it. So you're probably like, like you said, like making your grocery list in the car, just wondering what you're going to make for dinner that night, right? Exactly. So in a couple hours when I hadn't heard from him, I thought, well, gosh, that's really strange. That's odd. And, you know, being married to a physician, it's no secret. We do have some VIP situations or connections, you know, so I was thinking, okay, um, do I start texting some of the higher ups and say, hey, anybody seen this guy, (laughs) you know, that I dropped Mm -hmm. off? Um, We don't live far from the hospital at all. And so I, I thought, well, I'll go home. I'll let the dogs out, you know, and I'll just hang out until I hear from him. And it wasn't until the next day that I wow. asked, uh, I finally said, okay, starting to freak out a little bit. And I asked someone who I will never reveal because it might be a HIPAA violation. <laughs> I, said, I need you to dig in his chart. Tell me where he is. And, and this person called me and said, um, he's in the intensive care unit. Wow. And no one had called you. You had no idea. Nothing. I knew nothing. So finally, the next that, you know, later on in that day, a physician called me and said, you know, I'm on David's case. Um, you know, we have him in the prone position, which is face down and he's on this high flow oxygen. So he won't be able to talk to you. And I was like, what? How did we get here? You know, yeah, you had just happen? seen him 24 exactly. hours earlier. Exactly. And so that I mean, he wasn't able to text me or anything. And then um I thought, do I have COVID? 
you know, like, should I get tested? I mean, obviously, because at that point, then he did have a positive test. Um, I guess we should, you know, I should test. And I, you know, at that point, we were still quarantining for two weeks. So I couldn't see him for two weeks. But I was able to, you know, get, you know, round the doctors who rounded on him would call me daily. Um, and then it looked like, okay, he's doing, he's doing okay. To fast forward two weeks into this, um, I can now visit David, but it, I only was able to visit for two days before the hospital shut down because they do some sort of like once 10% of the admissions are COVID related, the visitors stop again. Wow. So I saw him for two days and then they were going to transfer him like, hey, for some reason, this guy still needs oxygen, but he doesn't need to be in the intensive care unit. And so they transferred him to something that's called an LTAC, like a long term acute care hospital. Okay, And at this point, he's awake. He's talking. He's He's talking. He's a little breathless. You know, he would cough and his oxygen saturations would drop. And so at that point, we're now we're together and we're both like, what? is this like what in the world why are you reacting this way um and so, so actually the day that they transferred him over to the LTAC was August 4th and we thought like oh great this will be okay we I can, this is a place I can visit him and it, they said okay we've got three patients coming from the hospital and you can't visit him today because we have to get him settled in his room so I had the bright idea to sit in the parking lot, <laughs> like at least I can see him come in. And the first ambulance came in quiet and calm, no problem. And they transferred the patient. The second one came in same way. And the third one came in on two wheels in ambulance lights blaring. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my husband. And I, like a crazy lady, ran up to the ambulance shouting his name. And, you know, the EMTs are like, ma'am, you have to get back. You have to get back. And and I, it's like I couldn't help myself I to, to get in there. And that was the day that they intubated him and placed him on a ventilator. And breathlessly, he said, this is why I have a hashtag come home to me. Breathlessly, he said, I will come home to you. Mm. And so I was like, okay, they told me two weeks, two weeks on a ventilator to rest. Wow. And I didn't know that part of the story. And for those of you who just heard what Karen said, she she has been actually really um, has been documenting her story on social media. And she always finishes with the home, wish the hashtag come home to me. And yeah. I didn't know till you just said that, Karen, that that's where that came from, that he actually made that promise to you, although he probably knew he had no control of the situation, but there was something in him that said to you, I will come home to you. And if David were on this, he would tell you he was terrified, terrified, because we knew as medical professionals, most people that get on the ventilator, aren't they're not coming off. I read somewhere, I think something you wrote that said, you know, that he also made you promise that you wouldn't stop fighting for him at that moment. Right. Right. So I came home that night and this is kind of where the rainbows come into our story. The very first rainbow. Um, so we have rescue dogs. I have a very crazy rescue dog. <laughs> She's four, year, four years old, a pit bull mix. She's wild. Her name's Harley, like the villainous Harlequin. <laughs> and um, the night I came home after he was intubated and put on the ventilator, I sat down at our island Um, one of our sons poured me a glass of wine. I was sitting there and Harley starts frantically scratching at the door. And this has never been her behavior. Like she'll go sit by the door and give you like, Hey, do you mind taking me out? But she's never frantically scratched at the door. The boys were not, they, I don't know if they went to their room. I don't even remember now, but I just sat down and I was like, Oh, really? Like, is this dog going to get sick? What is going on? I'm exhausted. And I got up, I let her out and she just runs to the side of the house. And I I have a picture on all my social media, but there's a picture of an angelic being with a rainbow coming out from the angel to our house. And I took a picture and even thought, is anyone going to believe me? Is anyone going to see this? And it disappeared immediately after I took the picture. And that was the first sign of a rainbow of God saying, like, I'm right here. I am over your house. I am with you. 
And what did that do for you in that moment? It just, it just gives you, it gave me this like, okay, he's here. I mean, I know he's here. We don't always get to see or feel God. We just know from scripture that he's always in our midst. But when we get to see or feel, and you know that feeling, you get the hairs on the back of your neck, Mm -hmm. the chill bumps, the everything like, okay. And then my dog ran back in the house, never even pottied or had anything else. And I was like, wow, what are they aware of, you know, that we don't know. Wow. Well, and that's one of those moments, you know, intellectually, we say God is with us, that he's for us, you know, we, we carry that with us as believers until something happens in our lives. And I know for me, I think, gosh, if something like that happened to me, would I still believe that God is present in the midst of it? And I feel like you don't actually always know that. I know we all say, of course I would be, but until you're in that moment faced with those circumstances, you know, I, I think we don't often know. It tests our faith because we don't yes. often know how we're going to respond. Absolutely. And and I don't know if you've had other friends go through health crisis and journeys. And every one of my friends who has is like, I've never been closer to God. Like I have had two friends um, pass away from breast cancer and they both said, if I were given the choice to go through this again, I absolutely would. I've never known God in this way. And I was like, what? (laughs) Are you crazy? And until you experience something and everyone says to me, I don't know if my faith would have been as strong. I don't know if I could have done what you did. And I said, this is where what he tells us, I will give you what you need when you need it. That's when this comes into play. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And he does it because he's good and he's kind, right? He doesn't have to do that, but he just does it in his kindness. Absolutely. Yeah. So keep, keep walking us through the story. You saw the rainbow that day. David is on life support now in the hospital. You don't know what's going to happen. So what, what did you do? So they're telling me, the physicians are telling me like, you know, give us two weeks at the most, you know, most people that do need to go on the ventilator and come off. It's in a two week period. And that doesn't happen for us. Um, His blood pressures start bottoming out to the point where, you know, again, where they were saying I wasn't allowed to visit, then it was like, well, you're not allowed to visit unless he's actively dying. So then when they would call me in to visit, I was panicked going, oh my goodness, this means he's actively dying. And I often question like was it better as a medical professional to know just by looking at the monitor looking at my husband looking at the medications they had him on um there's a medication called levofed and it is to increase a patient's blood pressure to life-sustaining blood pressure and it when i was a respiratory therapist in school that the you know little phrase we learned to remember this medication was levofed leave them dead Wow. Yeah. And so as they're putting him on more and more and more levofed and starting to max out all kinds of medications, and then some of these medications, there started to be a huge shortage. Like toilet paper was kind of a little funny thing to be short on. (laughs) (laughs) Life-saving medications, not so much. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I was standing over his bed at one point and looking at the monitor and I said, at what point do I ask my boys to get here? And they all turned to me and said, now, hurry. And I had to think, okay, what are they each doing at this moment? Will they be safe getting behind the wheel of a car and having, yeah, having to pick up the phone to say, hey, I need you to come to the hospital dad's not doing well, but to try to keep this like, not, not a panicked, not right. cry. I mean, that's where I, I know he gave me supernatural strength because on the inside, I was panicking. And we had four different times that David attempted. <laughs> I say, don't die. Don't, I feel like you tried to die four times. <laughs> uh, like mercy. But one of my favorite, like, stories and all of this um i was standing you know bedside and they said his his peak airway pressures are so high we're gonna have to put a chest tube in to relieve them but if we do he's probably gonna crash and code and we don't know if we'll get him back and i'm standing bedside and i thought you know as a respiratory therapist it was good that i always had a task something to do because everything was an emergency but i could focus on a task 
when you're the spouse, the family, friend, whatever, you can't touch this patient. Mm-hmm. So it was like this surreal thing. of like, I knew what to do, but I had to just stand there and observe. And so at this point, um, if you know me well, I am like earth friendly, sustainability, like what can we keep out of landfill? So when people filled his room with balloons, I was starting to feel like this panic, like I can't breathe, get these out of here. And I, I do, I start having a panic attack in the middle of this time where he's crashing. And I begged this nurse, I said, get these balloons out of here. I don't want them in here. This is awful. I can't breathe. And I know it's irrational, but it's a panic attack. And so she's taking them out of the room and I look in the corner and there's a walker, like it's too crowded. There's a crash cart, there's a chest tube. There's so many personnel in there. And I said, what is this walker doing in here? It's not like he's going to walk. He doesn't need it. Get it out. And I wanted in my mind to pick this up and throw it through the window. And I know mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't break these hospital windows. <laughs> and I am sure that God created this like almost anger and obsession over this walker for me so that my blood pressure would stay hot up because I was near passing out. And so the cool thing is, as you know, they get David stable. I go home and I have a friend call me and I mean, I'm exhausted and it is almost nine o'clock at night, which again, if you know me, I'm like in bed at nine, I'm up at like four 30 in the morning. And she calls me and she says, can I come see you? I have a message from God. I said, what? And I knew this friend had faith, but I'm like, a message from God? And I'm like, I I mean, I don't want to talk to anybody. And she said, I feel stupid. I've been driving around in your neighborhood and God won't leave me alone. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, come on. And I said, but I'm coming out to meet you because if my dogs start barking right now, I think I'm going to lose it. And she says, she's, she's so sweet. She says, I feel stupid. I said, Kelly, just say it. I need to go back to bed. What is the message? And she said, it doesn't even make sense. I said, Kelly, tell me. And she said, David told me God needs the walker. Wow. No one knew what I had just experienced. I hadn't told anyone. And my friend is driving around my neighborhood with this message. And I start crying, of course, crumple on the front porch. And she says, see, now all I've done is upset you. And I said, Kelly, I have to tell you what just happened. Yeah. And so God did these, I can't even say little things because it's massive. And I, at one point I was even thinking, why is he giving messages to other people? Why won't he just give it to me? And I thought, because he's, he wants to just testify to and through so many of us. Well, that's one of those stories also that you can't deny, right? There's no way to explain that. You can't, you can't rationalize that story away. You, You have to look at that story and say, but only for the grace of God does that happen. And if, if you even question if he's with you or the details or, I mean, sometimes it's easy to be like, God is so big and so busy, right? He's got the whole world, <laughs> but he cares about that moment. That, yes. Like, wow. Yes. Yes. I always say, I think it's one of the most fascinating things about God is that he's so big. He's so yes. vast. He's so powerful. He's so sovereign. And yet, again, in his grace and his kindness and his mercy, he chooses to he chooses to enter the everyday details of our lives, whether that's in crisis or it's the everyday details of our lives. But for you, from the rainbows to this place, I mean, it's just you just sit back and you say, "Wow, wow!" Like that's who our God is, right? So there there are moments that I think, "Why did this happen to us? Why was this David's reaction?" And I, I truly think, Sue, and I think God is going, I knew that you would testify to my glory. I mean, it's stuff you can't even make up. Like, right. have a good enough imagination. You and I are both, you're an author, I'm a soon-to-be author, but I still don't have the where to fall. Like, where, I couldn't right. create this type of script. Right. That's right. All right. Now, Karen, are people listening? I'm imagining because we just took a little bit of a tangent, but I imagine people are saying, but wait, 
<laughs> You've called your boys. David is in the hospital. They've told you to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. That happened. You that did happened. that, right? Labor Day weekend. Um, we just we got to this place where he was not getting better. His oxygen was up to 100%. You can't go any higher than that. Um, there was no place to go. And so the physicians rounding said, you know, it's time. It's time to discuss how much is too much. Are we hurting him at this point? And I was in shock. Um, You know, how how did we get here? And the CAT scans are showing that his lungs were scarred. They wouldn't believe me that he's never smoked a day in his life. His parents never smoked. Like, what in the world? So friends had started saying, you know, Maybe he needs to be a candidate for a double lung transplant. And even that, I'm like, what? <laughs> even as a respiratory therapist, I'm like, is that even a thing for this situation? Like, well, I don't even know. And so it ended up that, he, you know, they didn't feel like he would be a candidate for lung transplant because he'd been bedridden for months now. Mm-hmm. He had 50 plus pounds of weight loss. His muscles just hung off of his his bones, his legs, you know, they said, you, you know, he has to be able to walk. Um, so it got to the point where I thought, okay, if his heart stopped, it wouldn't make sense to do compressions on him. And we had this discussion, but when I walked back in the room, he had this purple DNR, do not resuscitate armband on, cue panic attack number two. Wow. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Um, and so it, it's like I, I had two very specific prayers dur- during this. And one was, God, I can't make this decision. Like, I will honor you and praise you whatever your will is. Like, I know 100% our hairs are numbered on our head. Our days are numbered. If this is it for David and he won't have quality of life and I know that he has asked you to be his savior, I'll see him again. And I, I know I'm saying that with like, not a lot of emotion, but trust me, <laughs> there's, it's, it's not as, as easy as my voice is sounding right now. But, but I know that deep, 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 like if this is his time, but God, please don't ask me to make that decision. And so then it was like, it was like, God put this adrenaline in me. Like they say, you know, if you see someone, your child just needs a car lifted off of them. I just all of a sudden had this adrenaline and I was like, get out of my way. This is what needs to happen. I want a neuro consult and I'll call the neurologist. And that's what I did. I called our friend and and I said, I'm so sorry to put you in this position, but I need to know, you know, is David brain dead? Like, I know what kind of life could he have? I know you don't know for sure, but can you come assess him? And then the pulmonologist had asked me, you know, do you, do I need to prove to you David's in right heart failure? And I said, yes, prove it to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. He was not in right heart failure. His kidneys kept up with even all of this horrific medication necessary for life. And so we had one system, his lungs. Now it's a really important system, but we only had one system. And um, so the neurologist said, you know, the only way we can tell is if we get him off of this sedation and these paralytics. And Sue Ann, he, David was like out of his mind as he was coming to. He didn't know my name. He thought, you know, they would say, do you have sons or daughters? And he was like, daughters? And I started panicking a little bit, thinking, oh, my goodness, you can't go backward. You can't now take him off life support, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, what What kind of life is, is he going to have? Am I going to be visiting my husband in a nursing home until he finally dies? I, I thought, oh, my goodness. So I just had to keep trusting God. Like, okay, I asked you to make the decision. <laughs> this is where we are. Then... Um, a friend of mine made a Facebook post, a physician's group of moms. And she said, you know, here's, here's my friend. He's a urologist. He might need a double lung transplant. Is there anyone who will take him? And there was only one physician who was willing to take a risk on him. And so we even thought like, okay, God's opening another door. He's providing a way. And so my second very specific prayer was, God, please wake David up. Please wake him up to make this decision because he would live a life of being immunocompromised, you know, 
we don't know how much time, but, and, and da- David, David, goodness, God did that. He woke David right up. Well, and Karen, and, stop right there for a minute. I mean, what was the likelihood of David waking up in that moment to be able to tell you that? Um, not likely. Uh, it can take up to 30 days just for the, like the fentanyl and all of the paralytics and sedatives. They, they kind of live in fat cells. It can take like 30 days plus to get out. So for him to come to, again, he was confused as all get out. There's no question, but he was able to say, I mean, first and foremost, what the heck happened? Right. <laughs> right. I? Uh, I did end up in September 18th, needing to life flight him to Advent Health, which again was back and forth. The hospital would say, yes, we'll take him. No, we can't take him. Oh, he's too old. He was 50. You know, they were giving beds to the younger, which is understandable. It just, it almost sounded like a movie, like yeah. some sort of, alt, I don't know. Alt, alt. I'm sure even now for you looking back, it probably feels like, did that happen? Like it yes. pro- there's probably parts of it that just feel like you were having an outer body experience while Absolutely. it was happening. Absolutely. Yeah. And then yeah. as to fly in, we had a tropical system. So if, if Naples wasn't having flash flooding and lightning, Orlando was, and it just, it just kept being stopped. And so, the, so I know you say like, what, what are the highs and the lows of this? The highs of like, oh, we have an option. <laughs> Someone will take him. And then yeah. the lows of, oh, just kidding. We can't take him. Right. And, and just that back and forth was brutal. Yeah. What did you, what did you do to get through those days? How did you emotionally survive that? It was truly being surrounded by friends, by praying friends, um, people who would just, you know, pray scripture over me, remind me of who God is. You have to have those people. (laughs) You have to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you and David are so loved and there were so many people who were surrounding you, who were praying for you, who were flooding your social media pages, who were calling you, who were, I remember one day I just picked up the phone and called you and I I did not expect you to answer, but I just thought, you know what, I just want you to know um, Mm -hmm. that we're praying, that we love you, you know, and I remember you texting back and saying, I'm sitting in the hospital next to David holding his hand, you know, but just to know that you're surrounded and loved. I, I it probably maybe some people underestimate. I know sometimes you don't want to bother someone who's going through a right. crisis. You don't want to reach out. And just to hear you mm-hmm. say that that those knowing that you were loved and surrounded was really just and pointing and people pointing you back to the character and the goodness of God, because God was showing up for you. Um, Absolutely. But you still needed people to remind you of what was true because yes. of those highs and lows. And then even having the people say, I've never prayed before and I'm praying for you. And I kept mm-hmm. thinking, okay, God, if you're calling one more person, one yeah. more person to eternity, then this is the suffering is worth it. Um, yeah. Okay, Karen, we got to get to the happy part of this story because it <laughs> okay, does okay. have a happy ending. <laughs> and so you have a doctor, like one doctor sees this thing on a Facebook post. Yes. This guy, everyone else says this guy is forget it. Right. And this doctor says, I think I can help him. Yeah. So Dr. Cynthia Grease, Advent Health Orlando, she says, I can't explain it, but I felt like I had to be in, involved. And I said, Oh, I can explain it. <laughs> you were called by God. And she's like, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> she's like, okay, weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> she, she knows she gets it now, but um, yeah. So we get to Advent health Orlando, September 18th. David has to get stronger in order to survive a double lung transplant. It's a very brutal surgery. No lie. And um, God sends another amazing person, Ellen Deloach, physical therapist. She's military, and she was like just what David needed. And and we credit her greatly, too, to getting him strong enough. And the first time he walked, um, he just sobbed. And I said, you know, what are you feeling? What's happening? And he said, hope, just hope. Mm. That's all he could say. So mm. then it felt like maybe God was going to actually heal David's own lungs. I mean, what a miracle of miracles. And and I had this faith, like I, I just knew it, like, oh my goodness, God, you're doing this. And then October 31st, he matched 
for longs. And I was sitting in church at the time when he matched and I thought, this isn't how it's supposed to go. Like, God, I just know, like, like you, you, I allow me to feel like faith, this ginormous amount of faith that you're going to heal him. And the whole world is going to be like, Whoa, that had to be God. There's no other explanation. So then I was confused again, you know, wow, do we say yes to this? Because it's, I don't know if David will match again. And I ultimately, of course, left it to David's decision. But in church, I said, God, I honestly, I feel bad even asking this because you have shown up in mighty, mighty ways. How dare I ask for a sign? But God, will you please make it ridiculously obvious if we're supposed to move forward? And four hours later, David had a second, even better match. And we were like, okay. Wow. Wow. Here's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Here's what we're supposed to do. And he said, you need ridiculously obvious. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Like the other things I showed you were not ridiculously obvious, but you know what? I'll do it one more time. He sure did. And so David received a double lung transplant. It was late. On November 1st, he came out 11 hours later on November 2nd. And um, the rest of the story is he continued to get strong. He has um, returned to work, different work, but work nonetheless. He's traveling. Um, Last night, we celebrated with a huge group of friends on the lawn on at our house with yoga and a DJ, you know, with headphones, putting worship music. And Suanna cannot make this up. During the middle of it, a double rainbow over our house. And there was a lot of weeping. There were gasps. I couldn't stop laughing. (laughs) God, of course you did. Mm. Of course you did. And the DJ... I'm not positive uh, his faith yet, but he said, okay. He said, if you told me this story, I would say this is like the, a dumb Hallmark movie. <laughs> 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 Impossible. And yet you had it happen. That's right. That's right. Well, and Karen, I know I've said this over and over. It's just, you have, you have been bold and courageous because I think so often when God is at work in our lives and it's obvious, um, we don't want to tell people, you know, we don't want to, we're afraid to take the risk of like, I'm not making this up, right? Like God did this and you've just continually pointed back to him and the fact that he, this is his story, right? You started at the very beginning by saying, this is this is God's story. He's chosen to use you and David as instruments in it for whatever reason. And, you know, you may never know that. Um, But part of that reason is because you just continue to give him glory through um, what he's done, which is a pretty, pretty amazing. Because I don't know if I would have said the same thing to the DJ. I would have been like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe not. (laughs) But you've seen it too much. It's just it's too obvious to you. Right. And that doesn't mean that there's not an enemy out there that doesn't want to shut this down. It doesn't mean that we don't in the back of our minds have some fear and anxiety over the time that David will have. But as as David has said through this whole thing, our days have always been numbered and we have to keep going back to all we need to do right now is being gratitude for another year, another year. Do we get five more? Do we get 10 more? Do we get 20 more? I don't know. And the reality is none of us know. No, absolutely not. Right. Well, Karen, you know, we timed this episode. So we're, you and I are recording this a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving, but when the episode actually drops, it's going to come out um, just a couple of days before Thanksgiving. And I, I was thinking about how, um, how often, you know, we, we know that we're supposed to orient our hearts towards gratitude, like as Christians, and especially around the Thanksgiving, talk about Hallmark holiday, right, of Thanksgiving, <laughs> like, be grateful, count your blessings, and we say all yeah. this stuff, and we go around our tables, and we share what you're, we're thankful for, and I make my kids do that every year, and I'm a fan of <laughs> counting our blessings and naming the things that we have to be thankful for, but it's easy to do that when we're in seasons of abundance, of joy, of seasons where we feel like things are going pretty well. And so, you know, I, I, it's not too hard to express gratitude, but I think one of the beautiful things about your story is it's a reminder that through all those highs and lows, 
I really don't believe you ever stopped being grateful. And it's not because you weren't frustrated, angry, scared, heartbroken, devastated, discouraged through the whole thing. Yes. But you didn't stop recognizing the goodness of God and being grateful for that. And so here we are a couple of days before Thanksgiving. I would love for you to just share a little bit about that and um, even just how you might encourage someone who's listening, who is going into this holiday, not feeling very grateful for the circumstances in their lives. But um, what word of encouragement would you give to them? Well, first of all, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, so I cannot <laughs> Which we did not know when we planned this whole thing. Oh, it's Amazing. my favorite. Um, and one of my favorite verses throughout this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Always be joyful. Keep on praying no matter what happens. Always be thankful for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And I, I made a little note here. If you haven't heard Maverick City music singing A Million Little Miracles, because that's exactly what we had. That's why I have to write a book because I don't it's not even enough time on a podcast to tell how many miracles God gave us. And, um, you know, we're told to be content in all circumstances, even though this journey took me to places unimaginable. I truly have never felt closer to God. And uh, another one of my favorite quotes is actually Albert Einstein. And he says, one, there are only two ways to live your life. Only two ways. One is though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. And look around, you know, there are always helpers. There are always going to be hard times. We were promised that, right? In this world, there will be trouble. But wow, does he surround us with people who hold us up reach out. If the spirit gives you that prompting to check in, just like he did with you, Sue Ann, like just call her, please listen to that. He, he has us all connected and he wants us to serve each other in that way, whether it's to celebrate with each other in our joys and our triumphs or to carry that burden together. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. A good word, my friend. And just a a beautiful way as we, like I said, enter, as we surround our tables, as we enter this place, is just to be reminded of that, to lift one another up and be reminded of, of like you said, just who God is and that he's present um, in all circumstances and in all things. So Karen, I ask everybody uh, who comes on Deeper Still one question, and I'm going to ask that question to you now. And I know you've shared a ton of things with us. <laughs> Any of these probably could be this answer, but um, Deeper Still is all about uh, not getting content, right? Not getting complacent. That Just when we're in a place in our lives where we think that maybe uh, we've kind of got things or things figured out, that God calls us to go deeper, and then he calls us to go deeper still. And so as you look back over this last year, as you just celebrated David's lung anniversary, and <laughs> I love that. Um, how how are you now sitting in this moment? And how is God calling you to go deeper still? You know, a friend called me when I thought David was not going to make it. And, and she said, you're going to be on the stage one day speaking of this. Mm-hmm. And David's going to be with you. I'm like, what? You don't know anything. (laughs) My husband's crying. And so I've already said this, you know, in our conversation. I don't know. I don't know why we experienced this. And I know a lot of people didn't even get to the double lung transplant. I know there are people that passed away. And this was a brutal, brutal virus. And it's not over. But I do know that God is in the business of salvation. And again, if one more person hears our story and and comes to know this God of miracles, then temporary suffering is not in vain. And so I believe to go deeper still every day, God is calling me to turn off the noise and tune into him. And goodness, that's a challenge every day, whether it's work, emails, social media, you know, I, I'm definitely more a Martha than a Mary. <laughs> Sometimes I say, God, you made me like a Martha. <laughs> but just finding that place at his feet. And I struggle. Even after all of these miracles, my flesh still struggles. So to go deeper still, there's no question that I just need to be at his feet. 
That's a beautiful word to end uh, end our conversation on, my friend. Thank you for sharing your story. I'm with your friend. I do believe that you will be telling this story uh, for a long time to come in different places and different spaces. That's why I wanted to have you here. It's an important story and people need to hear it. And so we will be cheering you on. On Borrowed Breath is the yes. name of your book that yes. uh, should be coming out in January or of 2023. We won't put a timeline quite on it because that's not true, <laughs> that but we'll close. say 2023. <laughs> we will definitely let people know about it. But Karen, thank you so much for sharing your story and for spending some time here with us today. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes. And happy Thanksgiving to you too. Give hugs to your family for us same to yours. Well, friends, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family as well. My hope and my prayer for you is that no matter what circumstances you may be facing today, no matter the highs, the lows, no matter if your table is surrounded with an abundance of joy or you are just struggling to put the pieces back together, I hope and I pray that Karen's story reminded you that you are always, always surrounded by the goodness and grace of a God who is with you and for you and ever-present in the midst of every detail of your life. And my friends, for that, I believe we can give thanks. If you're looking for some good people to be surrounded by this Thanksgiving holiday, I bet for a minute you thought I was going to invite you over for dinner. I'm not. Wish I could, but I can't. And so instead, I'm going to invite you to join us at 10 o'clock on Thanksgiving morning here at Christ Church on our Oak Brook campus, located in the western suburbs of Chicago for our annual Thanksgiving service. Or join us the following Sunday as we kick off the Advent season with our traditional lessons and carols service. It's going to be great. We'll be back with another episode of Deeper Still in two weeks, where I'll be talking to Elisa Morgan, the author of Christmas Changes Everything. I do hope you'll come back and join us for that. Until then, go in God's grace.